Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm Alberto Ligia, your host from London. Please subscribe and please share widely with others. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome on board Brian Gallagher, who is the President and Chief Executive Officer of the United Way Worldwide. And this is the world's largest privately funded nonprofit organization. It's a global network that supports the health, education, and financial stability of individuals and families in more than 1,800 communities. And some ridiculous stats coming up. It has nearly 3 million volunteers, 8 million donors, operates in 40 countries, and last year raised just around $5 billion. And that's B with a B as in boy, which sounds amazing. So, Brian, welcome onto the Do One Better podcast. Thanks, Alberto. It's great to be with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Why don't we start off by hearing a little bit about United Way? What's the organization all about? Well, so United Way is, uh, we're 133 years old. We're best described in a business framework as a franchise business. We have 1,800 local United Ways. They're all independent. Uh, They're in each one of those countries, whether it's uh, Colombia, U.S., uh, India, uh, France, the UK. They're independent nonprofits incorporated in those countries run by volunteers uh, who are local. Uh, We, United Way Worldwide, own the name and the brand mark, and we license it to these volunteer groups to, uh, to raise money for education, income, and health, and essentially connect people with resources to people in community who need help. And um, uh, we've gotten big. You mentioned the five billion. We've gotten big because we act small. Mm-hmm. 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 Since we've been coming across with some interesting numbers uh, during the introduction, you've been with the with United Way since 1981, where you started off as a management trainee. That's right. That's right. In fact, you could go back even farther. What I was, um, my undergraduate degrees in social work. Um, I went to a university called Ball State in Muncie, Indiana, East Central Indiana. I'm originally from Chicago, and so about three and a half hours away. And I was trying to decide where to do my senior year practicum in the community, full time, nine weeks. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I, I realized I really didn't want to do direct service, but I was intrigued by community organizing and systems change. And, and honestly, I'd never heard of United Way uh, mm-hmm. back then. And I was reading descriptions of what I could do. I came across United Way, and they said it's an organization of volunteers and donors who try to change the conditions in which people live by getting people to work together. And I said, that's what I want to do. And so I did that for nine weeks. I heard about this national management training program. I, I applied, uh, was the first alternate. Uh, the 10th person in the program turned it down. And so they called me up and asked me if I would move from Chicago to to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I said, yep, got in my 73 Nova and drove south. (laughs) (laughs) Never looked back. Never looked back. I was, you know, it's when people ask me, when young people especially ask me for career advice, when I'm I'm loath to do it a bit, but one of the things I say is be prepared to say yes. Mm -hmm. You know, we're so wired right now to say no. Say yes. Um, I knew nobody in North Carolina. I had no idea what it was going to be. I, I just, but it was an opportunity. It's, um, and I decided to, to try it. And then I moved to five different local United ways in the U S and, and became, uh, developed a, an aptitude for raising money. So as a social worker who was out there raising money, that's always good. 
I got it's always good in nonprofits. I got my MBA along the way and became the U.S. president in '02, and we merged our U.S. operation with our international operation in '09, and became CEO of Worldwide in in '09. That's amazing. And how many people work at United Way now? So I mentioned there's about three million volunteers. How in your your actual team or the staff at United so Way? So there are. There are 11,000 people who work for those 1,800 local United Ways. Mm -hmm. So 3 million volunteers, 11,000 employees. We have about 300 here at United Way worldwide. Um, we're very, we are a network. We're, um, as I said, we United Way worldwide own the name and the brand mark. We set rules on governance, financial reporting, uh, ethics. Um, we just passed... Um, a new membership requirement that requires all local United Ways uh, to make investment through a racial equity and ethnic discrimination, you know, anti-ethnic discrimination lens. So we set all of those rules. We, we manage global relationships with the World Economic Forum, United Nations, global corporations. United Ways develop all the relationships locally, leveraging the, the worldwide uh, center and raise most of that money locally, invest it locally. So, yeah. so that's how we, when I say we operate like a franchise, that's how we, that's how we operate. Yeah, we used so, to be social franchise, a social franchise. Exactly. Right. And it's, and you know, there's such a, sometimes folks will come into the nonprofit space and say, we need to run it like a business. And that's true in some regards, but I've resisted the urge and the drive to consolidate United Way. I like having local folks on the ground in local communities, identifying local issues and strategies together, and then using the center and the network uh, relationship to, uh, to accelerate their change because we're a copycat network then, but I like being local. I, I grew up in local United Ways and, and New York is different than Miami and my, Miami is different than Bogota and you can't change that. And yeah. that's, I think, what has been kind of the, the magic formula for us. Excellent. And what does it look like? So when, when, when we're talking about a global network that, you know, you guys are supporting health, education, financial stability, uh, what does it look like? So, and, and I understand also for our, our audience in the UK, you also have a presence in the UK that was established back in, I think, 2014, if I'm that's not mistaken. Right. So, that's what, right. so what does it look like? So our, our network obviously is, is not obviously, but it's most prominent in the U.S. and Canada because that's where we grew up. We're the, we're the product of industrialization. So the movement of millions of people in the U.S. from rural areas into the city for manufacturing jobs. And there, there was no um, social safety net. There really were no nonprofits. There was no public welfare system. And so it was just a group of citizens, business leaders and organized labor, religious leaders who came together to create a planning approach to say, how are we going to deal with all the education issues of all these new people in our city and or health issues or how are we going to make sure they're financially uh, stable? And they created the first United Way. And um, so uh, we are a product of that. So, um, so if you look at any place where, where let me then contrast it. We, we've been in China for 25 years, and the biggest issue, social issue in China right now is the migration of people mm -hmm. uh, from rural communities into the big cities for jobs, leaving children behind, no infrastructure. And so it's the migration of people in terms of, in terms of how we started. Western Europe 
in the UK was different. We have a we have a great network in East Asia, in Latin America, and North America. Um, we had a bit of a hole in Western Europe because the social contract, the role of government, was so pronounced. And right. Over the last thirty years, obviously NGOs have become a more prominent player in in the community impact space in in Western Europe. But we were slow because we were very quick after the fall of the Berlin Wall to get into. Uh, Poland, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and so forth. So we have good United Ways there, and now we've uh, we've incorporated in Germany, in France, in the UK, in Spain, and we have great relationships with corporations. So um, in Western Europe, uh, a, an emerging relationship in Toulouse, France, with Airbus kind of mm-hmm. took us to Madrid and took us to uh, took us to their their manufacturing plant in the UK, and and then we move out from there. That's amazing. That's really and, and then, of course, it's important that we find the right local volunteer leaders and they then have these relationships with the local NGOs on the ground. And really what we're doing is creating a, uh, a community impact ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Again, companies and donors who want to help and we connect them with nonprofits and community government, private players who are working on early childhood education or or truancy, or access to healthcare, or migration and helping hel- helping new immigrants in in communities. And we put the resources and the need together in a in a rational way that that creates scale and then creates this virtuous cycle of, of generating more resources. Yeah. So that's how United Way works. That's 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 really something. And tell me, in terms of raising five billion dollars in a year, what does that look like? So it's um, about uh, about fifteen percent of that would come from corporations. So um, you know some of our biggest corporate partners are UPS, FedEx, IBM, uh, Samsung, Hyundai, Kia. Uh, Airbus has now become a big uh, a big player for us. So corporations and we have kind of grown up together around the world. So. About 15% come from that. About 35 or 40% come from their, the employees of companies. So we work with 65,000 companies around the world and ask wow. their employees to make a make a gift to their local United Way through their through their payroll through their paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it makes it easy, and it happens throughout the year. And then the other half is coming from individuals. Our you know, we've got 600 people who have given us a million dollars or more. We have 40 who have given us 10 million or more, 25,000 who give us $10,000 U.S. dollars per year. But our average contribution is about $300 a year. Mm-hmm. So we, so our donor looks like a community. So if you go into any one of those 1,800 local United Ways, you'll find uh, donors who are giving $100 a year, $200 a year. You'll find people who have given a million dollars. You'll find corporations. And then you'll find the nonprofits working with those donors to try to create um, a private sector innovative approach to homelessness or to housing issues or to new immigrants and, and how we take care of those needs. So it's the when a United Way is most effective, it, it reflects its community. Um, it looks like it's community. It, um, it's a, you know, our, our vision is that, 
um, in order for a community to succeed, everybody in that community needs to succeed. It can't be it can't be one segment, geographic or or ethnically or or class. The whole community has to succeed. Yeah, yeah. Now here's a question that I normally ask towards the end of the episode, but actually I think it'll be really interesting on the sequencing side to tackle right now. Let me ask you about what success looks like to you for the next 10 years, because then I have a few questions about how we're going to get there. So I, you know, Alberto, I think, um, I think inequality is the biggest, the biggest issue in the world today. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you look at, if you look at industrialization or any significant economic transformation, it, it does a few things. One, it creates tremendous wealth, you know, industrial wealth. And now, and now the globalization of the economy and the technology and the digital revolution have done that. Jeff Bezos has now blown past everybody to become the richest person in the world. So it creates unbelievable wealth. It does pull people out of abject poverty in certain places, but it also creates tremendous inequality as did industrialization. And, when when you don't have much, um, you really don't you really don't rise up against a group of government leaders or so forth unless you can start seeing what other people have that you don't have. And I'll just say in the United States right now, the biggest issue in the United States is the profound, visible, concrete inequality. Mm-hmm. And so even though the killing of an unarmed black man again by police was the spark that created the protests. You put in, you you combine that with the pandemic, the lockdown, and the fact that people are fed up with the inequality in the country and the lack of economic and social mobility. Um, That's the biggest problem. So in 10 years from today, the world is gonna have to be more equitable, more just. It's gonna have to be cleaner um, environmentally. Um, there's going to have to be a redistribution of wealth across country, within country, and it's either going to happen through enlightened uh, political and corporate and big nonprofit and small nonprofit leadership, or it's going to happen through social unrest. And so my hope is that 10 years from today, we've got a more equitable, more just, uh, more evenly distributed um, opportunity across the world because the unevenness right now is coming to a boiling point and it's not sustainable. Hmm. Are you feeling optimistic about the journey for the next 10 years? 10 years, yes. Um, 18 months, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and maybe it's because of where I live. Um, So you're in DC for our listeners who, who... Yeah, I'm listening. You're in Washington, D.C. right now. Yeah, And and even more broadly, you know, I'm I'm a you know, I'm the son of immigrants. My my mom and dad came from Ireland and Scotland in 1950, came through Canada because it was easier to come through a Commonwealth country. My dad came with an eighth grade education. Um, You know, he got into the U.S. because he lied about being a, a, a part owner of a tavern in Chicago when really he was just paying a fee, hmm. you know, he was, I grew up around, uh, undocumented people. <laughs> they yeah. were Irish. Um, and so, um, I'm, I'm optimistic 
about the fact that I, I've seen the world and I've seen new immigrant communities, including my own. Um, I visited now probably all 40 of those countries, maybe a few more. Um, I've got great confidence in the, in the, in the human spirit. And I've got confidence that um, humans are resilient. I am because not just because I live in DC, but because I live in the US and and we are from a from a federal standpoint uh, managing this pandemic so poorly and um, and fomenting division within the country so dramatically, uh, I'm afraid that things are going to get worse before they get better. Mm. And um, and when people you know, when people ask me about that, I say, you know, it's 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 it should be expected. <laughs> I mean, you're either going we've been driving through policy um, greater inequality in the United States. And sooner or later, people are going to say they've had enough. And that's what people are saying right now. Mm-hmm. And I look at the world and I realize that even in places like Brazil and Mexico and India, where hundreds of millions of people have benefited by the globalization of the economy, the the gap, the inequality gap is is way too big. And if they follow the Western pattern, the they're they're going to find that they lose mobility, the ability for individuals to move economically and socially. And so our whole um, definition of success over the next 10 years has to be around, has to be focused on individuals, not macroeconomics. It should focus on personal safety, on financial security for individuals and their families, giving people a sense of purpose and and helping people connect to community. Mm-hmm. Um, those should be our KPIs. Those should be our drivers of success. And and I think we'll get there over 10 years, but I think we've got a bit of a rocky road in front of us. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. You're painting a very sobering picture as well, which, by the way, you touched on COVID-19. It doesn't help that we're sort of in the midst of this madness. No. And but, you know, it's what's interesting to me is as you look, if you look around the world and see who's responded well and who hasn't, um, one, it's it's so obvious that in countries where the healthcare systems are built for public health, in other words, mm-hmm. um, the health of all their citizens matter, they're doing way better than those that are built through a private system. And the U.S. healthcare system is a just-in-time efficiency model that is not built for public health uh, crises. Uh, and then if you put bad leadership on top of that, that's what you've got. The other thing that you notice where countries are doing better than others are those that either through um, kind of uh, the social contract, the role of government, the, the tax system and so forth, or just the culture of the country, there's still a commitment to the common good, that people care about each other, that that they're disciplined to, to take the steps necessary to sacrifice for three months, for six months in order to get to a different place. And if you're undisciplined, if you're, if you're too focused on yourself, your own interests, not focused on the common good, those are the countries that aren't doing as well. So what it, what it tell, the pandemic to me is wildly instructive 
in terms of what your question about what is what is success 10 years look like mm-hmm. it's going to it's going to focus around common good and uh equity and justice and um uh both racial equity and and ethnic uh equity um we're going to have to find a way to make sure we've got a a social safety net floor in all of our societies and that we're and that we are promoting and driving economic and social mobility so folks can see a path that they don't have to be Jeff Bezos, but they have to believe that they can do better. Yeah. And that's what uh, that's. And I'm optimistic that we'll figure that out because, because we have no option, but to figure it out, I think. Sure. Sure. One of the things that, um, that I was reading about is that you guys are really doing a lot of stuff on the digital space and, and there's a big, um, digital transformation endeavor going on within United way. Yeah. Yeah. Tell well, us you know, a little bit it, about that. Well, you know, it's, um, you know, as I described United Way, it's um, it's helping to take the resources in a community and connect them with people in need. And so we kind of go back and forth. Are we a fundraising organization or are we a social change organization? Mm. And really at our core, we're, we're an organization that tries to bring those two things together. And for the longest time, the way we got very big in the United States is we became the community chess. So the, the business model was pool your money, we'll assess who are the best nonprofits out there, and then we'll give them that money and we'll make sure they're doing good work. And then we'll tell the donors about it. And um, the onset and the growth and the acceleration of digital technology um, is eliminating middlemen in uh, transaction. And it doesn't matter whether it's how you get your news or how you entertain yourself or how you buy things. Um, you just don't necessarily need to go through institutions anymore. It's the, you can do it individually, you access the information. And so what we've been, what we've been working toward is how do we build that community chest exchange without individuals having to come through us as a vertical, uh, institution, Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we're we're building um, individual donor and volunteer profiles. So we're working with Salesforce.com, building first in workplaces and then beyond the ability for you to build your own profile, what you care about philanthropically uh, in terms of what you, where you want to give, where you want to advocate, how you want to volunteer. And then we've taken all of our work in education, income and health, migration, human trafficking, and we digitized it all. And we and we stood up a new social enterprise in the western part of the U.S. in Denver uh, to take all of our impact content and turn it into digital content. So it could live uh, on technology, digital platforms. And what we're doing is we're putting our donors and our volunteers together with that content on one platform so they can interact with each other and they don't have to necessarily come through us. Excellent. Um, if we're going to go from 8 million donors to, say, 18 million donors, we're going to have to give up some control as an institution and instead create an environment and a technology ecosystem that allows the donor and the volunteer to get directly to the service provider or even the person who, uh, who needs help and just f- facilitate that versus manage it. And so we've you know, anyone who's spent any time around digital technology knows like there's 
a thousand things behind what I just said, but fundamentally it's how do we help individuals connect directly to what they want to achieve philanthropically. Excellent. And by the way, uh, putting the technology aside, what, what you are doing here is transforming how philanthropy works. You know, I'm, I'm 61 years old. So not only am I not a digital native, it took me a long time before I met a native. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, and um, I've been going to Davos, I've been going to the World Economic Forum for a number of years now, and, and I was struggling with the change that we were trying to make. And I knew we had to connect better with individuals and, you know, a younger generation than the one that kind of built United Way. And it, I was at a small um, discussion group in Davos that Mark Benioff, the founder of Salesforce, was there and Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook and, I don't know, a couple other people. And 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 as they were talking, I realized we don't have a digital strategy, you know, so I can't we can't connect individuals at scale unless we get out of the way and build a, a platform that gives the power to them to connect directly to the nonprofits and the community resources that we have. We have to allow them. We have to facilitate it. And that's I went up to Benioff afterwards and I asked him if he could build what he was describing that he had built for Starbucks and others to get to know their customers, if he could build that for us. And he said, Mark, of course, would say yes to anything. Um, <laughs> it started us on this path of building this partnership together. And we've built this huge partnership to create the, that technology platform to put those things together. That's remarkable. When is that? Uh, is that going live now? Is it, has it gone it's live? It's live now. It's, um, it's working. Um, it's working in uh, 350 companies right now in the U.S. Um, so there's about uh, there's about 70,000 people using it. So we're and now the and it's as the technology uh, as the users use it as as you know the technology gets smarter. You know, artificial intelligence is built into it. We're using the, the Salesforce AI in the in the tool itself. Um, it's going to expand into Latin America in, uh, in the next several months. And so, yeah, it's live now. And it's a, it's a matter of, uh, it's a matter of how fast can we adopt it? I, one of the things that I realized that, and it seems obvious to, it should have been obvious, but it wasn't to me. I, I realized maybe six or eight months, no, maybe more, maybe 10 or 12 months ago that I needed to be a user. So I, yeah, it's called. It's called Philanthropy Cloud. It's on my phone. Everything I do in giving and volunteering now is on my phone. Um, I, uh, and it, it tracks it for me. And then, and then it will make recommendations um, for me to read about things, to go to certain websites to, hey, we noticed that you, you had an interest in early childhood education or in addiction, addictive addiction services here's some nonprofits or here's some stories that you might want to read. And, um, and it's the way that I've described it to people is why can't my philanthropy on my phone be just like my Spotify account? Sure. You know, why can't it watch me use the service and then make suggestions to me? So that's what philanthropy cloud does. And that's what it does on all of our users' phones. Um, <laughs> That is really cool. Um, 
this is something that anybody can download or you have to be within a specific organization to download? It? Yeah, right Right now, the use case, Alberto, is for our corporate partners. So inside workplaces, it's inside their firewalls and their security. Mm-hmm. But it, it will, um, by the beginning of uh, 2021, so within six months, we're, we'll be expanding that use case out to individuals. And so uh, any anyone listening to this just... Just be on the be on the lookout for that. Um, but also organizationally, if you have interest, just you know go to unitedway.org. You'll find the Salesforce partnership on there, and 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 we can connect with you, or you can you can you can navigate it yourself. But yeah, increasingly we think um, we're gonna increasingly will be a platform for people to manage their own activity. And in terms of the counterparty, so you so now I have some idea of who would be using philanthropy cloud. Uh, what about on the receiving end? Those those philanthropies or those uh, nonprofits who are who are um, who are present on that cloud? How do they get there? So it's um, we have a an electronic connection with every five hundred one c three every nonprofit organization in the United States and Canada right now. So, and then as we expand to other countries, so we don't, it's, uh, it's, it's limitless. If you're a, if you're a nonprofit organization in the United States and, uh, you know, recognized by the government, then, uh, we connect to a list that includes all nonprofits and the user, um, then can find that nonprofit. So I made a, I made a contribution the other day to a, uh, to a, um, uh, a domestic violence shelter for women in California. I knew the name. I went in, I searched the name. It came up because the database of all nonprofits is in there. Mm-hmm. And I made my contribution on my credit card and I was done. And so, and then what happens again is then I get references to either Southern California where I made that gift or other services about domestic violence. And the, the, you know, those that are that are already kind of in our ecosystem in United Way are figuring out that if they digitize their content, they're more likely for users to come find them as well. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're but right now, anyone, uh, anyone in the United States and Canada can give to any nonprofit anywhere in the country. And that will be it'll be an open source uh uh, platform going forward anywhere we we roll it out in the world that is truly remarkable you know there's about a million different questions that are coming on in in my head <laughs> right now of where you could take this both in terms from the user experience from the from the the donor's perspective and also from the from the nonprofit and you know how do you get in front of donors and what sort of thematic areas people are giving i'm sure that you guys on the strategy front you're, you're probably thinking of so much potential we are and you know alberto i think for you know, what you're doing with this podcast and beyond is so of all the different ways we could take it, I think what's really important in the context of this conversation is what we're trying to do is, and I think is true for all of philanthropy right now, is trying to figure out how is content created? You know, how do, how do, how are the best ideas created now? Because it used to be that you'd have all the experts sit around and we at United Way would bring in experts and volunteers and we'd study an issue and and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't work. And then we 
swung the, swung the pendulum all the way over to, well, we should just let the donor decide and let the user. And sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't. But we now, the digital technology allows us to get smarter in real time. So you, what we're trying to do is take what we know about name and issue, migration, and, and how to deal with uh, the movement of people from Latin America into the U.S. and what they struggle with and what they need. And you've got donor, and so you've got nonprofits that deal with that. You have donors who want to help. Um, and you, you allow them to interact with each other. A donor gives to certain things around early childhood or legal protection or housing or whatever it might be. Um, the experts watch how the donors are giving. They start assessing what things are working. Then they feed that back to the donors. So the donors now are more, and the volunteers and the advocates are more directly involved in the strategy development versus the experts talking to themselves all the time. Yeah. And so, yeah. but all of it is designed to say, how are we going to create content? Because you can't, you can't do it as institutions only. I don't think you can do it as a marketplace only. I think that the marketplace and the experts have to come together um, in a way that in real time, both through both use and study, create the strategies of the future. And mm -hmm. that's, that to me, if, Anyone who cares about philanthropy right now, if you find yourself to one extreme or the other, that um, the donor should drive everything or, you know, the experts know, you probably are in the wrong place <laughs> mm -hmm. because it's somewhere it, innovation happens through um, the remixing in application. And that's what we're trying. That's what we're trying to accomplish right now. And 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 I trust I trust our I trust people. I trust individuals and users to help us figure out how to deal with the world's most complex issues. And they'll give more if they, if they feel good about it, they'll give more. It's, it's enlightened self-interest as well. I think. Sure. You know, we learned so much spending, you know, doing this partnership with Salesforce because how we think about philanthropy and how they think about their business was so diametrically opposed that um, having to figure out how to build this together was, was at the end of the day, inspirational. It's just remarkable. I, I, I really wish you the best uh, success possible for, for Philanthropy Cloud, because just knowing the scale that you guys have, you know, if you can bring efficiency and transparency to the, to the philanthropy marketplace, it's uh, the way you're doing. You're, you're, you're so well poised to do so. And combining with, with the likes of Salesforce, uh, I, you know, I, I have to struggle to see how you wouldn't be a, a resounding success with this. Well, it's, it's, I appreciate you saying that. It's, it's, it strikes me as that the only thing that can hold us back is ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that you know, I think is so important in terms of the conversations that you're having, for instance, is that innovation and change can happen in 100-year-old organizations and can happen in 100-day-old organizations. But we need to connect with each other. We need to be willing to... Um, hear each other as whether it's corporations, foundations, old nonprofits, new nonprofits. Um, innovation is when we put our different applications and thinking together. So, I, I, honestly, I think the only thing that can stop us is us and mm. and our unwillingness to think expansively and and collaboratively and generously. Yeah. Uh, if we do that, then we'll succeed. It's kind of like the ten year 
Success Horizon generally. If we will be open to, uh, we're better together than we are apart, then our future will be bright. And um, and I feel the same way about philanthropy generally. It's um, let's be generous. Let's let's share with each other. Let's um, let's not let's not define each other outside of understanding each other. And and if we'll if we'll do that. Um, uh, there's nothing that that can. There's nothing that'll stop philanthropy generally, and therefore society. Really, very well said. Now, maybe maybe you have already answered my my question, but I was going to ask you about a key takeaway for our listeners, and perhaps that's it. But it, it is. I was thinking that's I, and I have to say that I've been doing this for a long time, and um, I never would have said what I just said twenty years ago. Hmm. Probably wouldn't have said it five years ago. Um, but what I'm increasingly learning as, um, first I had to come to the conclusion that I had to get comfortable with knowing that there are so many things I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And it's allowed me to actually be freer to think about, um, our work differently, who we might partner with that we wouldn't have partnered with. And, um, it's that, it's that old adage, you know, if, if you, uh, if you hold the bird too tightly in your hand, you kill it. Mm. And if you, and if you open up your hand, it flies away. You have to hold on to these things gently. And, um, and it's just what I've learned. And I, it, it, it has brought us into partnerships and changed partnerships that we've had for a long time, just because we, we, we find ourselves to be much more open and, and I think that's what, for those of us in philanthropy, no matter what segment of philanthropy, um, we got to be open. We got to be. We got to be willing to learn. We got to be. We got to be a bit vulnerable, and we've got to trust more than, more than we trust right now. And in the commercial world, they know how to compete because it's all about do I make money or not. And in the world of philanthropy, our competition sometimes is dysfunctional because you don't really know what your return is. We just have, so we just got to be open and generous. And, and if we are good things will happen. That is great. Brian Gallagher, president and CEO of United way worldwide. It has been an absolute pleasure hosting you on the do one better podcast. And to our listeners, thank you as ever for joining. Please subscribe if you haven't already, and please share widely with others. Brian, really a pleasure. Thanks Alberto. It was fantastic being with you. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully, these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better. <music>